back to another episode of Cold Turkey, a podcast from the Turkish Heritage Organization. This week, I have a wonderful guest with me here today, Nilsu Guren. She's a colleague of mine at CRDF Global, and she's here to talk to us about nuclear nonproliferation issues with the United States, NATO, and of course, Turkey. Nilsu, thank you so much for being here. Andrew, thank you very much for the kind invitation. Look forward to our conversation. Of course. Um, and just to give a background for our audience, could you give a quick overview of what you do at CRDF Global uh, and what your background is in terms of research of nonproliferation issues within Turkey? Absolutely. Currently with CRDF Global, I'm the program manager focusing on our counterproliferation and nuclear security portfolio in particular. My uh, academic background is on uh, Turkey's security and foreign policy issues. And I have spent close to 15 years looking into Turkey's nuclear policies with respect to the nonproliferation regimes and also nuclear energy plans. Uh, I'm also a non-resident scholar with the Middle East Institute's Defense and Security Program. So overall, I'm an implementer of nuclear security work and continue to still conduct research and publish in the field. So Nilsu, we don't work in the same program at CRDF. I'm in the chemical security program. You're, of course, in nuclear security. So I'm really curious to hear your insights in terms of nuclear security capacity building. And with that, I wanted to talk about your recent one-pager that you published with the Middle East Institute. You gathered policy issues and policy prescriptions for the Biden administration after their first 100 days. Is that right? That is correct. We wanted to put together some of our high-level policy recommendations for the first 100 days of the Biden administration and some of the priorities uh, when it comes to the Middle East. But of course, uh, given the geopolitical uh, circumstances and the ever-evolving security context, even our recommendations from two months ago may not be up to date today. A mainstay news story with nuclear nonproliferation has been the issue of the United States with Iran working out the JCPOA and then the U.S. withdrawing from it. Where do we see the Biden administration taking these issues of non nonproliferation in the next three and a half years? Do we see a lot of focus just on Iran, or do you think the president will be maybe taking aim at a broader swath of countries and setting rules and guidelines for uranium enrichment for maybe a larger region rather than just Iran? I think it's uh, really multifaceted uh, with respect to the U.S. leadership of the alliance, mending of the um, issues that have come up in the previous administration, and also uh, the trend that we were on in, with respect to the U.S. leaving multilateral agreements and treaties with respect to nonproliferation. So we have a lot of milestones that are pending, also impacted by the pandemic. And the top thing that I would point to would be the nonproliferation treaty review conference that was originally going to take place in April 2020, has now been pushed into August 2021. And one of the top connections to the issues in the Middle East has to do with the um, stalling of the conversations on the WMD free zone uh, in the Middle East. So that would be one aspect. The second aspect would be arms control and non-proliferation dialogue with Russia. And of course, the ongoing conversations on what the next iteration of the joint uh, comprehensive plan of action would look like with Iran. So it is indeed multifaceted. Uh, the administration, I believe, is going to put non-proliferation high up in the agenda with respect to going back to confidence building measures and also adherence and compliance with the non-proliferation treaties. But of course, Iran does sit at the very epicenter of the Middle East. Uh, 
uh, non-proliferation issues. So you mentioned the pandemic being the main roadblock to the Treaty of Non-Proliferation Nuclear Weapons, uh, the, the review conference for that treaty. So two questions about that, first of which being, where does a WMD free zone in the Middle East lay in the chance of you know be, being a possible topic at that conference and being something that would be considered? And second to that, what do we think Russia feels about that issue? Will they be in favor? You know, would they be an active member in those discussions? What are your, what are your thoughts? So absolutely, uh, external players such as U.S. and Russia have always been facilitators and they do have a table uh, place uh, when it comes to the WMD free zone conversation. But uh, the main stalling actually even uh, predates the pandemic in the sense that uh, one of the key disagreements among regional players, particularly led by Egypt and Israel camps, had to do with which comes first. Is it disarmament first or regional security first? And um, you did mention uh, briefly uh, importance of NATO and the role that NATO plays. One of the key difficulties for discussing any Middle East security issues have been lack of a security architecture that is comparable to NATO. And the attempts even prior to the pandemic to convene uh, dialogue among uh, key regional players have always been hit with non-participation from all key actors. You cannot have a conversation about regional security and uh, disarmament in the Middle East without having Iran uh, or even Syria at the table. So um, not having the venue to discuss these issues and the main camp of difference between Egypt and Israel were the main roadblocks to having a conversation about the free zone. Uh, I think one of the key challenges now is going to be what the next iteration of this NPT review conference is going to look like because it's still in the books for August and uh, supposedly taking place in New York, but we are not clear on what the format is going to look like and whether the agenda is still going to be focused around the free zone or rather more so uh, emphasis on the peaceful uses pillar of the NPT. Uh, it, it seems that with all the stalling of conversation on disarmament, uh, key actors, including the G7, may choose to focus more so on peaceful uses of nuclear energy and making sure that nuclear newcomer nations follow uh, the best practices in nuclear safety, security and safeguards. So given all the political challenges, this may no longer be the top item at the NPT review conference, in my opinion. So I'm glad you brought that up. In your article for the Middle East Institute, you talk about nuclear proliferation resistant designs for newcomer nations. And I'm wondering if you can talk more about that. Does that look like what we're having in New York in August? Does that look like more treaties? Does that look like stronger enforcement of the treaties we have on paper? Could you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Nuclear newcomer nations have a variety of options with respect to decisions that they will make um, about the suppliers. They can choose the technology, uh, the operating model and the financing and licensing requirements for their nuclear energy programs. And they can also make a decision with respect to whether or not they would like to develop the nuclear fuel cycle. In the case of Turkey, for instance, Turkey chose to, uh, the build, own and operate model with Russia in which uh, they would not actually pursue the nuclear fuel cycle. And that would actually eliminate concerns with respect to 
any attempts for proliferation of um, uh, nuclear weapons. So if a nuclear nation, a nuclear newcomer nation is mostly interested in this technology for peaceful purposes, there are international standards that they can follow. Uh, they can also consider partnerships and uh, one, two, three agreements with the U.S., in order to have access to peaceful uh, nuclear energy and not generate any concerns that they would actually uh, be on their own uh, with their nuclear fuel cycle. So, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Turkey's role in all of this. Um, I was looking back and I, I read your 2020 article from the Council on Strategic Risks, which was um, pretty focused on, on Turkey and, mm -hmm. and nu their nuclear energy developments um, and things surrounding that. Um, so I wonder, let's dive in a bit more on Turkey. In that article, you describe them as a non-nuclear country in regards to defense strategy, um, but they, they've shown interest in using nuclear energy for power. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And uh, the main definition actually comes from the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Turkey is indeed a non-nuclear weapon state, but at the same time as a crucial member of the NATO alliance, it is also considered and heavily believed to be hosting uh, U.S. tactical nuclear weapons at the Angelic Air Base. So in a way, even though Turkey does not have uh, nuclear weapons um, of its own, uh, it is part of the NATO nuclear policy and also uh, potentially believed to be a host of nuclear weapons. But as you mentioned, yes, it is also a country that is very much making progress towards um, having its own nuclear energy program. There's always a bit of extra attention paid to, like you said, nuclear newcomer countries that further their nuclear capabilities or take steps to increase their nuclear energy or uranium enrichment. In the past few years, Turkey's been working closely with Russia to build a new power plant using nuclear energy, of course. How is this issue viewed through the lens of the NATO alliance, given that Turkey is one of the older NATO members, and also given that the relationship between the US and Turkey has been a bit tenuous lately? What, what updates has happened since you wrote about this issue in 2020? And what should we know now about this power plant? Oh, absolutely. You and I both work in the field of capacity building. So this is definitely an element of capacity building that the U.S. has invested in Turkey uh, through the one to three agreement, which is now in auto renewals. So I think as a key ally, the U.S. has always supported uh, Turkey's access to peaceful nuclear energy. Yes, there have been concerns. Uh, not just with the nuclear energy collaboration, but uh, as I'm sure you are very much uh, closely following uh, the Turkish purchase of the S-400 system from Russia as well. So the nuclear energy collaboration, cooperation between Turkey and Russia is not compartmentalized. Uh, Russia does see the Akkuyu nuclear power plant as part and parcel of the strategic um, partnership that they have been investing in with Turkey. For Russia, Turkey is number one and NATO ally. So I think they are very cognizant of the security implications of having closer uh, coordination and collaboration with a key NATO ally. Is the U.S. concerned? I think, yes, they are concerned uh, with this growing partnership and um, Turkey and Russia having more of a common uh, investment in the field of nuclear energy. You said... Russia sees the Akiyu power plant as a part of their strategy. Can you explain that? Is that 
military strategy? Is that economic strategy? What did you mean? I think it's uh, all of the above, uh, to be honest, because I think <laughs> uh, the way that this uh, power plant uh, is structured uh, through the build on and operate model, it is a Russian plant on Turkish soil. And in a way, the dependency of the Turkish uh, industry with respect to human resources, the training on the particular reactor type, the financing, the fueling, and even the decommissioning and um, re uh, uh, sending the processed fuel, it's going to be mainly geared towards Russian strategy. And Turkey will be primarily responsible for the security of the plant on Turkish soil, but um, pretty much outsourcing every aspect of the nuclear energy production to Russia. So it does give Russia a lot of control in uh, the Turkish effort to have access to nuclear energy in a much shorter way, rather than having them develop it on their own. Going back to your 2020 article, Nosu, in the Council on Strategic Risks, you took a climate perspective with Turkey's development of nuclear power and energy. And this is something I don't think enough academic articles do, so that was very appreciated. So let's talk about what are the environmental implications of Turkey just now getting its foot into the door with nuclear power. How does this fit into the growing concern on climate change across the world? And how does this fit into the Biden administration's push for a climate forward foreign policy? Thank you so much for bringing that up, Andrew. Particularly, I think even though the article that you kindly referred to was written back in 2020, uh, the issue came to the forefront with uh, President Biden's recent announcement with respect to the climate action plan and the role that nuclear energy plays uh, in an effort to reduce carbon emissions globally. Uh, Turkey does have a very legitimate concerns when it comes to not just climate energy, but also uh, climate change, but uh, climate um, energy uh, dependency to foreign uh, suppliers. And also um, in an attempt to address the energy deficit that it faces as a uh, developing uh, economy. So in order to address these uh, concerns with energy dependency uh, to um, fossil fuel and natural gas, uh, Turkey does see uh, nuclear energy as a source of diversification uh, and also uh, in the neighborhood of the Middle East, Turkey does have also legitimate con concerns when it comes to uh, desertification, access to water, and uh, potential changes to its uh, shoreline. So I do think that the plan to invest and also have um, nuclear energy in its portfolio uh, have implications for the concerns that the country has with respect to the implications uh, of climate change. Uh, which could also have national security uh, considerations uh, within the next 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think we are more so now seeing climate, energy, and national security being bound into one large issue that we 
need to address very quickly. In your MEI article, back going back to the one pager, you give a list of policy recommendations. You know, addressing the the first hundred days for President Biden. You said uh, the president needs to reignite arms control and regional security conversations. Um, but also lead bilateral engagements with regional nuclear newcomers. Do we foresee the Biden administration having more bilateral talks with Turkey, given um, developments with with their nuclear power? Um, Or will those engagements come more on a multilateral basis? Or is that maybe something we can't really predict right now? Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely, I would argue that the bilateral versus regional is going to be part of the U.S. diplomatic toolkit with respect to approaching and having consultations with nuclear newcomer nations. We should also mention the role that the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, plays with respect to the resources they have developed for nuclear newcomers. Turkey has received uh, those consultations and also uh, follows the recommendations that come out of the IAEA consultations. With respect to the relationship uh, between U.S. and Turkey, I'm sure you also have addressed in your um, show here a lot of the issues that are uh, still needing attention uh, in order to restore the trust between the two parties. I would only imagine that energy collaboration will be part and parcel, but I think there are issues of uh, dire uh, importance that would precede the conversation between the Biden administration and the uh, Turkish administration. With respect to dialogue uh, with nuclear newcomers, I do see um, other uh, nuclear power sites being also uh, of interest, particularly because the Akku nuclear site is almost close to completion. And uh, Turkey has already made significant progress with that site, but uh, there are at least, uh, based on previous record, there are at least two more additional sites that Turkey considers. And uh, those are areas that other suppliers um, would be interested in talking to Turkish decision makers for. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know the Aku power plant was almost done. I guess that puts more of a, a fine point or, or an impetus on the United States to either act or not fairly quickly here. So we've gotten a lot of insights from you, Nilsu. Looking ahead to the issues of nuclear nonproliferation for the rest of the year, what should our listeners take away? What should they look towards as some signals of good news, bad news, big events coming up? What What are some things to watch out for uh, for the rest of 2021 for all of these issues that we talked about with nuclear nonproliferation as well as the, the conglomerate issue of climate, energy, and security? I would certainly keep an eye on the outcomes of the next uh, Non-Proliferation Treaty Review Conference because I think that's where we are going to get the actual priorities lined up and uh, see a better role for uh, the NATO allies, including Turkey, uh, with the renewed interest in um, making our commitments to our allies and also uh, keep a very close eye on the way the conversations are developing uh, in Vienna currently with Iran, uh, because without uh, addressing and tackling the Iran issue, uh, I don't don't foresee uh, any progress towards having non-proliferation and disarmament dialogue in the Middle East. And I do believe that with the increased number of nuclear newcomer nations, uh, we are only going to um, need a better um, 
structure uh, for uh, these discussions and identify venues where the U.S. can provide the leadership, um, but also have varied approaches to the conversations, not just engaging diplomats, but also technical communities that are going to be part and parcel of uh, the implementation of these nuclear energy programs. Awesome. Very insightful. Nilsu, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Teşekkür ederim. I'm sure our listeners appreciate it too. So thank you so much. Ben de çok teşekkür ederim. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I look forward to our continued conversation.